Well, welcome to FBC. My name is Joe Andrews. I'm the campus pastor here. I'm filling in uh, for the pastor today. Uh, it is Epic Sunday. Now, I don't know if you know about Epic Sunday, but it's one of our favorite uh, events that we do here at the church. It's one of those things that you get to church on Epic Sunday and you're just like, there's just kind of a buzz in the air like, oh, it's Epic. It's Epic Sunday. Can't wait to be here. Let me tell you just a little about what's going on today. Right after this service, we're all going to move out to the back lawn uh, and we have a huge picnic. And the really cool thing about Epic Sunday is it's not just for this service. It's not just for you. It's for uh, the service that usually comes after you, that's the 1215, but it's also for the service that was before you and the service before them. And then all of our Wednesday night people, it's just an awesome time where our whole church can gather together. Uh, so we're really excited about that. I don't know if you know this, but there's probably about 2,000-ish people that come through our doors in a month. So we're hoping that a lot of those people are going out to that picnic and they're going to have a great time. We love to celebrate Epic Sunday with beef, so uh, we'll have everything catered by Rudy's. Uh, it's going to be great. Then we have baptisms and we have child dedications. We have bounce houses out there for the kids. We have face painting. It's just an epic Sunday. And, and though there is that kind of buzz in the air today, I do want to recognize also something else, something that is different. There's a heaviness in our church right now. And that heaviness is, is really for two reasons. One is that we have lost many of us, a dear friend in Debbie Burroughs as she passed away, the pastor's wife. The second reason that we have heavy hearts is for our pastor and his family who are here today. The pastor has personally walked with me through four deaths in my family. I know that he's walked through many of you with deaths in your family, walked with you through different things in your life, and now it's our turn. It's our turn to be the church. So David, we will walk through you. We'll walk with you through this and your family. We'll walk with you through it with tears. We'll walk with you through it with prayer, with encouragement, and with love. It's what we will do as the church. We will not walk through it with you by all of us, all 2,000 of us, taking food to your house. It's probably a little too much. We won't walk through it with you by each one of us going to your house. You can't fit all of us. We won't walk through it with you by giving you long, awkward hugs. Some of us may, probably me. But we will walk through it with you. So whatever need that you have, because many people have come up to me and asked, what, is, what does the family need? What does our pastor need? If you have a need, just let it be known to us because all 2,000 of us will jump at a chance to serve you. And we'll meet that need 2,000 times over. <clears throat> David also made it clear that this is Epic Sunday and it is a celebration Sunday, so... You guys need to celebrate today. Have a good time here today. Celebrate salvation, which is what we're going to do. We're going to do that through all of those baptisms. 11 people are waiting to get baptized today. That is awesome. What a celebration that is. 
And you get to be a part of it. You get to see them declare publicly that they have professed Christ and that they are following him and that they are saved. You know, salvation is our hope. It's really what makes us tick as Christians. It's what made Saul of Tarsus the apostle Paul. It was his salvation, which is the title of our message today. Saul of Tarsus, salvation. And we've been uh, in this series for a little bit, but I think Saul figured out, or Paul figured out something in his life that you and I need to figure out. It's something that's so very important to the way that we live life. Here's what Paul figured out, and we better as well. Salvation makes life worth living, no matter what life brings. And sometimes life brings hell. Sometimes life wreaks havoc on us. Sometimes life is so uncertain and so difficult that we don't know what to do. But if we can look at Paul and think, what was it that made Paul tick? What was it that made him keep going? It was this. It was that he had salvation. And his salvation made life worth living, no matter the cost, no matter what life brought. And it's something that you and I should look forward to as well. We've been in this series, Saul of Tarsus now. This is the eighth week. We have one more week to go. It's a nine-week journey in getting to know the Apostle Paul and kind of what made him tick, what made him be willing to suffer everything that he suffered. Last week, we were in the book of Philippians. We talked about Paul being a criminal. He was a criminal because he followed Jesus, and we learned that if we follow Jesus, we have to live like Jesus. And Paul did that. He followed Jesus and he lived like Jesus. And because he lived like Jesus, he suffered like Jesus. And ultimately he was killed like Jesus. That's what following Christ is. Paul wrote to the Philippian church while he was in prison. That was last week. This week, we're going to look at a different letter. He wrote a letter to the Ephesians. That's what we call the book. But if you can kind of think of modern day Turkey, that's really kind of the general area that Paul is writing this letter to. But it's not just to one church. It's to many churches. He, was hope, he would hope that his letter would circulate all between all these different churches. And so he writes them this amazing letter from prison because he's a criminal for preaching Christ. And it's in this letter that he just details what salvation is to the Ephesians. And it is a beautiful, God-glorifying passage. This passage uh, really can be, I think, better understood if I tell you a couple things before we get started. Here's what I wanna tell you first, is as I was in Argentina, uh, I think it was 2009, um, we were in Argentina, and I had gone into the interior from the city that we lived in, it's called Santiago del Estero, I left the city, we worked in the interior, and I went to just visit these people in, in their mud hut with their, their kind of thatched roof, and uh, 
I was leaving their house and I was trying to get up back to the highway. And to get up to the highway from their house, their house was kind of set down. It was maybe a 15 foot uh, kind of steep slope to get up to the highway and that's where the highway was. And so I'm in my truck and I pull right up to the highway and it's a pretty busy highway. There can be some big trucks that are coming so you don't want to just go right out there. So I kind of look down both ways and uh, I see that there's a truck kind of in the distance, so I'm ready to pull forward. There's nothing coming the other way. And then I see something right in front of me. And uh, it's, it's really, really big. In fact, it's the biggest toad I had ever seen up to that point. It, from my Bible, I'm not joking when I say that this thing was this big. It's just this huge toad in the road. And I start putting things together. I'm like, truck, toad. This toad has some decisions to make. <laughs> this, he has three decisions to make, all right? He, he could do one of three different things. Now, these toads, are, are, they're so big, they, they hardly hop, okay? Uh, they can hop, but they don't usually. If you see one of these toads and they're mobile, they're not hopping, they walk. And it's creepy like from a horror movie. Uh, so I'm like, this guy needs to walk off the road like that creepy walk that these frogs do. Uh, they're so big. I mean, if you ever are thinking frog legs, I would say go to Argentina. They're huge. Anyways, so there he is. That's one of the decisions he could make. The other decision that he could make is to remain very still as this truck comes and will pass right over him because the, the trucks that pass by there are big and this was a big truck coming. And so I'm like, walk away or stay or just stay there. Whatever you want to do, just whatever you do, don't jump when the truck is right above you. And so I'm watching. I'm like watching to see this fold out. I, I really wish that I had it on video, but I don't. Uh, and so this, this truck comes and this, uh, this toad is not doing what I'm hoping he will do. So I'm like, all right, it's time to stay still now, Toad. Don't do anything else. Let it pass right over you. So the truck comes over, and right as the truck is over this Toad, he jumps, and end of Toad's life. He is dead. Do you know what he did after he was dead? Nothing. Because he was dead. He can't do anything at all. Now, I want to tell you another something. It's a, it's a metaphor that people usually use to talk about our sin and how we are in our sin, all right? They usually will explain that we're in this tumultuous sea, all right? The ocean and the waves are crashing all around us, and we're kind of floating, kind of drowning. Maybe our head goes under a little, but we're waiting for somebody to save us because we can't save ourselves from our sin. And it sounds really nice, but it's just not biblical, in fact, if we're going to use that metaphor, we have to change it all up. If we're going to use how we are in our sin, and we're going to use this metaphor of the sea and us in it, uh, we have to change it all up, all right? This is how we are in our sin. We're not floating in the sin waiting for someone to save us. We're not drowning. We're actually already dead. We've already drowned the waves were too much. Our sin is too much. Just when we think we can maybe do something, we can't, and our lungs fill with water. We begin to breathe water, but you can't do that. So we sink down, dead, to the bottom of the seafloor. The two things that these stories have in common 
is what Paul says we are in our sins. We are dead. If you don't understand that as we go into this passage, you're not gonna understand this passage at all. So let me just ask you this question. It's rhetorical. What do dead toads on the road in Argentina do? They don't do anything. What do we, who are dead in our sins at the bottom of the seafloor, what can we do? Nothing. Because we're dead. Paul writes this little passage to the Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And there's really three sections. And he's going to start out with this one condition, our human condition. That's the first section that we're going to look at today, the human condition. And Paul is going to tell the Ephesians, I want you to remember, though you have placed your faith in Jesus, I want you to remember who you were before, how you were before. So I'm going to spoil it for you before we get into it. In your sins, you are dead. You are lifeless. In your sins, you're dead, just like the toad on the road in Argentina. You can't do anything. Let's look at the text now. Paul tells the Ephesians, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. I love how Paul starts this because he starts it like you would talk with anybody. If you were writing a letter, he says, you this and you that and you all uh, do this. You all were dead in the trespasses and sins. He only uses that five times in this passage, but 11 times he uses the word we or us because as he's talking about the salvation of God to them, he can't help but include himself in the human condition but also in what God would make him and save him. So he says, and you, Ephesians, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. The trespasses and sins are really anything that we do that doesn't bring honor and glory to God. It's us exchanging the truths of God for a lie. This temptation looks better than that truth, so I'll do this. And we leave what God said behind. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. That's what sin is. He says, Ephesians, you were dead in your sins, the way that you didn't glorify God, in which you once walked. I think it's a little funny to point out. He says, you were dead in the way that you walked. So remember that this isn't a physical death that Paul is talking to the Ephesians about. It's a spiritual death. They are spiritually dead, though they are alive and walking. Spiritually they're dead. Now, he's going to go and he's going to get dark really quick with the Ephesians. This is what he says. Here is what you were doing when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were following the course of this world. That's what you were doing, Ephesians. You were following the course of this world. James, the brother of Jesus, in James 4.4, 4, says this. If we are friends with the world, we are enemies of God. That's what Paul is saying here. You're not following the Lord. You're following the course of this world. If you want it to get even bleaker, leave it to Paul. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. This atmosphere that Satan has created. His world system. All of us, Paul says, we're in that condition. Following Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who are the sons of disobedience? Those people who are still dead in their sins. They don't glorify God. 
They're following Satan. And they are against God. Let's go to the next verse here. Among whom we, he now adds himself in, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We were all those people separated from God, sinning, following Satan, doing all of these different things, following the course of this world, being sons of disobedience. We all lived there, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. What is he saying? He's saying anything that our bodies wanted to do, that's what we would do. Anything that our minds wanted to do, that's what we would do. Anything we could think up that didn't honor God, that is what we would do. We, we would do. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath means that because of our sins and being dead in them, we are going to be judged and we are going to be punished by God. That is what it means to be under God's wrath or to be children of wrath. And Paul says, Ephesians, all of us were there until we put our faith in God. So Paul just paints this beautiful picture, doesn't he? It's very uplifting. No, it's horrible. It's bleak. This is hard stuff to hear, but he's going to do a 180 degree turn right here. Probably, in my opinion, one of the best 180 degree turns in scripture. Because he says, you were dead, you were following Satan, you were doing all of these desires that your body and that your mind wanted to do. But then comes the second section, the salvation of God. And this is a beautiful section of scripture. And it's here that we learn that the salvation of God includes mercy and love. The salvation of God includes mercy and love. We're dead in our sins, following Satan, giving in to the desires of our flesh, whatever our mind can think of, and then we get to this verse, and it says, but God. You were dead in your sins. All of these things were happening, but God, he's gonna do something. You were dead, you're separated. You couldn't do anything for yourself, but God being rich in mercy. Now, mercy is God not giving us something that we deserve. We deserve God's wrath. God in his mercy doesn't give us that. Why? Because of the great love with which he loved us. His unconditional, selfless love is poured out on us. And he's rich in mercy towards us, even though we're dead in our transgressions. Listen, even though we're following Satan, even though we were against him, even though we're dead in our sins, he decides to show us mercy and love. And then he makes us what? Alive. We who were dead, he makes alive. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. He says there, we'll get to that in a second because he's gonna repeat it. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means that God has taken we who are dead. He has made us alive and he has placed us in heaven. It's as good as ours because he has made a way for us to be there. And if that's not rich enough to offset the bleakness
he gives, I think, in my opinion, the most accurate picture of heaven that we could ever see. This is in verse seven. Why did he do all that? Why did he make us alive? Why did he love us in, in mercy? So that in the coming ages, the Greek word is the word eons, eons and eons and eons, in the coming eons or ages or eternity, he might show to us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. If you want to know where your loved ones are who have passed away and placed their faith in Christ, that's where they are. The golden streets sound great, but this, this sounds so much better, doesn't it? Our loved ones who have passed away right now, they are being poured out an immeasurable amount. They're like, I'd like to measure this, but I can't. Why? Because it's immeasurable. It's so much grace. It's so much kindness. Kindness that we don't deserve. And it's not just a little bit. It's for eons. It's for ages. It's for eternity. That is heaven. It's the essence of heaven, being with God and him loving us and showing us kindness. That's what Paul lived for. Paul didn't live for this life. He lived for the next life. Why would he live for this life? It brought him nothing but trouble, but because of the joy that was set before him, he endured it. He didn't try to escape it. He said, I have salvation and salvation makes my, worth, my life worth living. Because of my salvation, I'll go through whatever I have to go through here. It will be worth it because of what I have in heaven, the immeasurable riches of God's goodness, his grace, and his kindness poured out on my life. Then he gets to how salvation works. This is kind of the meat of the passage. He says, all right, now that you know, Ephesians, how the human condition is, and now that you know how salvation is, I want to show you how it works, how our salvation works. And I'm going to spoil it for you again. Listen to this. And I know that this is grammatically incorrect. I understand that. I did it for emphasis, okay? All of salvation is from God. None of salvation is from you. That's what he's going to tell them. All of salvation is from God. None of salvation is from you, Ephesians. We could apply that to our lives as well. We didn't save ourselves. He saved us. All of salvation is from him. None is from us. We didn't bring anything to the table. Let's go to verse eight. For by grace, Paul says to the Ephesians, you have been saved through faith. And this isn't of your own doing, it's the gift of God. Now, I wanna kind of look at this. Let me describe some of these words so we kind of know what he's talking about. Grace is, is a little different than mercy. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve, which is an eternity separated from him. Grace is God giving us something that we don't deserve, salvation. And faith Faith is a beautiful thing. In fact, I was reading a lot, obviously, about this passage and things like that, and reading about faith. And faith is basically trust, but I, I read something that I really liked. It said, faith is, is this living trust in who Jesus is 
and what he has done for us. It's not this, I put my faith in Jesus once and now I'm saved. No, faith in Jesus is ongoing. It's a living trust in him. So Paul says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. That's not something that you did. That's the gift of God. Now in English, if there's a verse in Ephesians that you've memorized, it's this one. But I think it's so often misunderstood. So I want to tell you what we understand when we read this in English. It's right here. We link these two things together. We hear, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this isn't of your own doing. This is the gift of God. And what we come away thinking is that we have been saved, and that salvation is the gift of God. Now, that's absolutely true. I don't want to say that that's not true. That would be horrible. That is absolutely true. It's just not complete. Paul in the Greek is saying so much more to the Ephesians than our English lets us understand. And so I want to kind of show you visually how this works in the Greek language. We're going to go to the next slide. These are the things that are linked. Okay, these are the things that are linked together. It's not just salvation that's the gift of God. Okay, let's let's read it again and let's kind of see this a little differently. For by grace, whose grace? That's God's grace. That's the gift of God. Okay, you have been saved. Who saved us? God saved us. That's a gift of God. Through faith, and what we usually think is that's our faith. But faith is actually a gift of God. Faith is something given to us. And, and after he made us alive, after he gave us faith, then we can use that faith. We can exercise that faith. And he says, and this, and that word this, doesn't refer to only being saved. It refers to everything in that first sentence. That's not of your own doing. Your grace, God's grace, not of your doing. Having been saved, well, you didn't do that. Your faith, that's not of your doing. It is all the gift of God. Do you see how much richer that text is in the English Greek that I helped you see? (laughs) God has given us so much in Jesus Christ. The salvation that he has given us is a gift, but so is his grace and so is our faith. Let's finish the very last verse here. It's not a result of works, Paul tells the Ephesians. Listen, don't think that you're the one who saved yourself. Remember, you're dead toads on the road. It's not a result of anything that you did so that no one can boast. If I could say, well, I was dead, and then I did this thing and that thing and this thing, and now I'm saved. And I could boast about everything that I've done to bring myself back to life, but that doesn't happen. We're at the bottom of a seafloor. How can I conjure up faith when I'm spiritually dead? Can't happen. God gives me that faith. God saves me and God does it by grace because he has kindness and mercy on me. So now we're living about 1,900 years later than Paul when he wrote this letter from prison to the Ephesians. How can we take the things that he said to them and apply them to our lives? And I think we can. I'm going to ask you a few questions. And I think if you can answer these questions honestly, it's going to help you apply this to your life. Here's the first one. Do you remember who you were before God saved you? Do you remember that you were dead in your sins? If you do, you'll probably live a life of gratitude towards God. And if you remember who you were before 
he saved you and you did nothing because you were dead, maybe you'll remember the other people in this world who are separated from God because of their sin and who are dead even though they're walking around. Maybe that should motivate you to go to them and share what Paul shared with the Ephesians. You can have salvation. Here's the next question I want to ask you. Do you live knowing that you don't save yourself or are you constantly trying to earn your salvation? You can't. You know why you can't? Because you're spiritually dead. I think even after we come to Christ, we think we have to do this and this and this and then God will accept me. Except Paul says there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to do. It's because of his grace that he saved you through the faith that he gave you. Here's the last question I want to ask you. Do you live for this life? Or do you live for the next? Are you someone who can say, you know what? Because I have salvation, I will endure whatever this life has to throw at me. Whatever this life brings, I will go through because it pales in comparison to what I have in the future. The joy that is set before me is immeasurable kindness and grace from my God. Are you living this life for the next? Are you so focused on every little thing that's happening here that you would just like to escape and get away? Or, or are you just saying, it? you know what? It doesn't matter. I'll go through it because of my salvation. That's how Paul thought. That's how we should think. I don't know how you answered those questions. Maybe God is moving you in some different direction. However he's moving you, you need to respond. In a moment, we're gonna have a response time. Maybe you're thinking, I've never placed my faith in Christ. I'm at the bottom of that seafloor. I'm a dead toad on the road. And I don't wanna be. I wanna put my faith in God and have that salvation that you're talking about. You can come to one of the pastors. We'll be here to talk with you about that. Maybe you just need prayer about something that this may have brought up in your life. I don't know. Maybe you just wanna join a church. Maybe you just need to talk to somebody. Use this time to do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are to us. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your mercy, for your grace. We thank you for the future when you will pour upon us immeasurable grace and kindness because you've saved us. We thank you that you took us from a life of sin, a life dedicated to being against you and enemies of you, and you have made us alive. We're not dead anymore. God, would you help us respond to you in the way that you're leading us to do? Will you help us be a little more like Paul and understand that salvation makes this life worth living no matter what it brings? In Jesus' name.